1: el árbitro del partido. Cómo ha empezado la liga,
2: pero esto qué es? Pero esto qué, Javi? A los 30 segundos. Luego cuando para la
1: imagen la imagen. Mira, mira, peligroso. Ya lo ha visto Gimánzano. Dibuja, el monitor se lleva la mano al bolsillo. Roja directa Cristina Bea Hugo Guillermo. So that was Hugo Gimón sent off after only 31 seconds. Of the first game of the La Liga season, it didn't take long for the drama to come, and La Liga Lowdown is here for another season to fill you in on everything that happens. Starting off with Match Day One, I'm Sam Leveridge, and I'm joined today by Rory Barley. How are you, Rory? I'm absolutely fantastic. It's been
3: a rip-roaring start to La Liga season, and uh, yeah, can't say I've done anything, but really, really enjoyed the the beginning of the of the season.
1: Yeah, it's had it all, hasn't it? Red cards, lots of goals, late kickoffs. I mean. If there was one thing you wanted to do this weekend, then it wasn't sleep because there was so much La Liga action.
3: <laughs> yeah, certainly an adrenaline buzz. Just uh, there was quite a lot of drama for for the first week, and it, it felt almost feels like sometimes the start of a season can be a bit like a preseason. It can maybe be a bit more low key than we're used to, but this this time round, Friday night it re, it really kicked off as we'll get into, and and yeah, from then on it continued to be pretty dramatic
1: yeah well friday night of course everybody was waiting for that that big game start of the season and everybody knew that jose border last up against his former side it was going to be a a heated game but nobody was quite expecting Guillermo to get sent off for uh, some raised studs (laughs) in the first 31st second so that kind of set the tone but before that maybe you could be forgiven for for expecting a bit more of a somber tone because this was the first la liga match day without lionel Messi since october 2004 829 match days ago Rory, just how depressing was it to head into La Liga season without Lionel Messi?
3: How do you how do you really sum it up? I mean, for myself and for many others, it's pretty much a lifetime that Leo Messi has been around. I I would have been eight nine years old when Leo Messi made his debut, and so I, I've grown up with him being there. It's it's a part of your life. Him seeing him every weekend and and twice a week watching him sit defenders down and, and embarrass them, and then whip it into the bottom corner. And that, that's a joy that you, you can't really replace because there, there simply is no one like Leo Messi, and the things that he did on the pitch just can't be re- replicated by anyone else. And even if you're not a Barcelona fan or you're not a keen follower of Barcelona, you can't escape the, the feeling or the, the sentiment that this was a historic period in Spanish football history and a historic period Within, within football history. And to, to watch Leo Messi week in, week out was an absolute pleasure, an absolute privilege. And and you can't help but be a little melancholy that it's over.
1: Yeah, so we're going to look at the Barcelona game now. They faced Real Sothea, that a 4-2 win, which looked like it was going to be much more routine than it was in the end. And of course, the first goal came from Gerard Pique, the man of the moment after he reduced his wages to get Memphis Depay, Eric Garcia, and they manager registered with La Liga. So we're going to pass over to Rory now, who is chatting to Don Domagoj Kostanjasak. But first of all, a little bit of commentary from Sprain of just the adoration that there was for Gerard Pique as he opened the
4: scoring. gol del presidente. ¡Gol,
0: gol, 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 gol,
4: gol del Barça. Gol del presidente, gol del central, gol del que se besa el escudo, gol del que se baja el sueldo para que se inscriban los otros dos. Marca Gerard Piqué, que no estaba acabado aunque muchos le querían
3: I'm here with Domagoj Kostanczak. I've tried to say his name. It is um, DK for the rest of the, of the sort of interview we're doing here, just so that I don't mess it up too much. He is a man of many parishes, including Total Football Analysis and Johannes Rondos, a, a new podcast about, about all things Spanish football in Barcelona. And that is something that he's an excellent expert on. But thank you very much for coming on, DK. No worries,
5: mate. I'm glad to be here, and don't worry about the name. That's kind of, I'm kind of used to that <laughs> already by this point. You know, even Croatian people struggle with it. So I'm, I'm like, it's fine. People just call me DK. That's fine.
3: <laughs> Sounds good. I'll roll with that from now on. We've both just watched Barcelona in their first game of the season, their first game of the post-Messi era, beat mm-hmm. Real Sociedad four-two, and. I can't start anywhere else. It is, it is the story. What was it like watching Barcelona without Leo Messi for the first time in, in many, many years? What did it feel like and what did it look
5: like for you? Oh, that, that's that's a really tough question. I mean, it was always going to be much different without Messi, obviously. And we've heard mm-hmm. uh, that the fans chant his name a couple of times throughout the game, if I'm not mistaken. And to be honest, it felt so much different. But at the same time, this is something that we were kind of bracing ourselves for for the last couple of years especially with the rumors kind of picking up for the last couple of years uh yeah. it, it was in, inevitable you know it, it had to happen the transition had to happen the only downside is i mean obviously losing Messi was always going to be huge but for me it's just is the way that he left that was the, the only bad thing about it because overall i think this is what this team needs it, it might be harsh it might be difficult at first but i think that, this team, I just had to had to try this, try try to play football without Messi, and now they will be forced to do so, which is kind of kind of you know, difficult. But that's how you want to swim as well. You just you know you just throw throw yourself into the sea and hope for the best. <laughs> so let's see let's see how they do.
3: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think as much as it's sad to see them without him, and and it is definitely weird. It it's interesting, and the. The thing that struck me was that this game was not the melancholy procession that perhaps you could have expected. Barcelona didn't crumble or mm. or look like they were down in the dumps. They, they came into blocks pretty fast. So, obviously, the, the absence of Messi is a big difference, but was there anything tactically or just in terms of um, general mentality that you noticed was different about this Barcelona to the one
5: that we saw last season? Well, yes. I mean... Let's all take a deep breath and just realize this is just one game, and we simply cannot make any conclusions just yet. But you know, that being said, Barça did look different. I think they looked more aggressive. They looked more committed as a team. It felt like every single player out there had to do his part. They were like they were more committed than ever. Instead of just having Messi as a sort of as a safety net, you know, behind it. If, if we fail, we have Messi to, to bail us out. Now there's no Messi anymore. Yeah,
3: definitely. It's it's. As I say it's interesting it's fascinating but Barcelona as a whole one way or another will be an entirely different prospect without him. One thing that I noticed was the same as last season perhaps less and on a less positive note for Barcelona fans was the fact that they conceded two late goals and for several minutes it looked like they were in very real danger of throwing that game away as they did many times last season. What is it, what is the problem there? Is it a mentality thing for you or do you feel like it's something that Kuma needs to work
5: on? Is that is it down to Ronald to, to sort that out? I think, well, it's not that straightforward. It's actually a combination of both things. I think, defensively, Barca, tonight at least, they looked much sharper. They looked, the pressing was on point for the majority of the game. So was the con- counter pressing, which was, you know, th- those things were the things that were dragging Barca down for so long. Uh, but this, the moment they concede a goal, they like they panic. It's it's still evident. It's still it's still you can still see that they are not comfortable uh, when the tides are kind of shifting, you know, against them. And when when the opposition has the momentum, they they don't know how to deal with that. And that's definitely a mentality problem. But at the same time, Puman mm-hmm. still has to figure out the defensive part. It, he he just has to because Barca still concede too much space between the lines. They're not really compact, and they, they don't really work well as a unit when defending. So it is a tactical problem to a certain extent, but there is a point where the coach just cannot do that much, you know. It is the players that that need to kind of make that shift, forget about the past mistakes and just move move forward. Uh, and we'll we'll see how that goes because we'll have young players in defense like Araujo and Eri Garcia. Those are young players. Um, Garcia looked looked great tonight, I have to say that. PK as well. Uh, regardless of that goal, he defensively he looked he looked solid. So let's hope this is just a minor blip. <laughs> but knowing Barça, they, they just you cannot have a Barça game without drama. That's <laughs> that's for sure.
3: Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a trait of theirs that they've taken on in recent times. And just a final one, Martin Brathway. Mm. He was he was deemed by many as not good enough. Could you give us an assessment of his two goal performance tonight and? and tell me could he be a star for barcelona this season
5: <laughs> that's a cheeky one <laughs> um, well i think he he could be uh, i think he shouldn't be once fati comes back i don't think there's there's place for him in the starting lineup but he is the very obvious benefactor of having having create such elite creators in your team because when when griezmann and memphis inevitably drop deep and and then start you know playmaking he is the obvious benefactor he will be, make the runs he will be he will be in the box um and at the end of all those passes that are that are coming streaming into the box as we've seen and he will just find find the right spot be there at the right time and he will just finish the action so so i i don't see him as a starter but he is like the perfect example of, of, of what what uh, Barca could be, you know, what Barca should have been with Messi even, because that's all they need to do. That's all they need to do. They need to give Messi a focal point, someone in attack who can make make use of Messi's elite, you know, godly creativity. And that, that was it. Just give him runners. Give him uh, speed, verticality, and he will, he will give you the rest. And uh, I think Bradford is kind of uh, the... The unique profile in Barca's team that should be used if he doesn't leave. That is, if he if he stays at Barca, there's definitely a spot for him in the team. Yeah, definitely, and fitting
3: or perhaps it's it's no coincidence that Henrik Larsen is also on the bench, uh, talking to Martin Braithwaite and coaching him, and that could definitely be a factor in that sort of development into, of him as a super sub. But um, I I would I do have to throw it back to Sam. I do have to bring it back. Uh, bring it to an end, but I will thank you for your time, DK, and just to the listeners, definitely go and check out John Magoy on Twitter he is an excellent analyst and you can find his stuff at uh, Total Football Analysis and also on the Johan's Rondo's podcast, an excellent bit of audio for you. Thanks very much, DK.
5: No worries, glad to be here
1: So what did you think, Rory, about the game? I mean, you're a a fan of Barcelona. What did you think of the first game without Lionel Messi? How do you think Barcelona got on?
3: It was, it was interesting. It was weird not to see him there. And I think you really, you really did notice it when Real Sociedad got a bit more of a foothold in the game. And they're a very good team at keeping possession. They're very good on the ball. But there was a spell towards the end of the first half. And certainly when they were trying to see out the game in the second half, where Barcelona just didn't really keep the ball, and that was the moment where Leo Messi drops into midfield, you have an extra midfielder, he's got that pausa, stops the game, slows it down a bit, and gives you control. On the other hand, you switch that round with actually having three forwards up against the defence, you get a bit more verticality, and, and you saw that with the transitions and the counters, and it really benefited Barcelona in that way. But it was, it was different, I will caveat this entire thing with Villarreal last season, Barcelona destroyed them in the first game, 4-0, and it was all counter-attacks, and everyone was just like, the new Barcelona is here, but yeah, it's, it's one game, let's,
1: let's see how that goes. There's still another 37 to go, right?
3: Yes, far too many if, you, if you're a Barcelona fan, frankly, because you know it's going to be filled with more of the same kind of drama that leads to conceding two goals later on.
1: Yeah, but we can't stop the count yet. I know Paz from that Liga lowdown squad we'll be desperate to with Real Madrid top of the league, but we can't do that quite yet. There's plenty of games left to be played.
3: Plenty of suffering left for Atleti to do as well to, to find their way to the top of the table.
1: Yes, you're spot on there, Rory. Plenty of suffering going on. But there were two teams who really had to suffer on Friday night playing in the heat. It was Valencia and Hetafe. So let's head over to Paco Bolit. Where I spoke to him about the game, just after we hear the drama of the first goal of the season scored from the penalty spot by Carlos Soler.
4: Va Carrito Soler, la pilota en los el 11 metros Miras el tres pals, mira el porter Va Carlos, venga, tienes que marcarla Tienes que marcarla, Carlos
5: Allá, allá va Va Carlos Soler, al lanzamiento ¡Y gol! ¡Y
0: gol! ¡Qué bien!
4: Le Carlos! Carlos Soler marca penal.
1: So, we heard there how Carlos Soler gave Valencia the lead, and that was the only goal in the game, but it wasn't the goal that caught the headlines. I'm joined by Paco Polet. Paco, how are you?
4: Hi, Sam. How are you doing? I'm very happy, by the way, after the, the first three points for Valencia, and hoping we can dissect what went down in that opening game in the 21 22 season of La Liga.
1: Yeah, and it started off very dramatically, didn't it? Hugo Guillermo being sent off after thirty one seconds, Eric Cabaco being sent off for Hetafe later on. I mean, what is it about Hetafe Valencia that has so much bad blood, so much rivalry between the two teams?
4: Most of our uh, listeners will remember the the high point of this rivalry being in January twenty nineteen with that incredible night. Uh, at Mestalla when Valencia were able to turn around a a 1-0 disadvantage and and score three consecutive goals in the last few minutes and and turn it around and move on to the next round in Copa del Rey, which ultimately meant that they won it, beating Barca in May uh, 2019. That night, uh, the conflict rose to incredible heights. Uh, There was actually a uh, collective fight after the game—you might remember, remember the Akabi, played, uh, uh, throwing punches. A brawl with uh, Damian Suarez, uh, Jaime Mata, Aramburu—everyone was involved. You know, it was a crazy night. And since that point onward, uh, it turned into some sort of bitterness. And we could see that in the intensity, especially in the first half between Valencia and Getafe in this opening game. That uh, there was a bit of bad blood still between both sides.
1: Yeah, and it wasn't helped by the penalty that Valencia won. I mean, wouldn't be La Liga without some bar controversy in the first few minutes of the first game of the season. And it was kind of perfect for, for Jose last on his debut, wasn't it? I mean, having that goal that he could then sit back with ten men and, and defend a bit more. What did you think of of how Bordelas set up the
4: team? Well, I think that he had a game plan, uh, before the match and that it shattered in the thirty first second of of the competition because of that uh red card. I think that he was also very, very uh, imprudent, very, very clumsy. But but yeah, Bordalás's plan was very different and it had to be uh, changed uh, mid-game or starting the game and they were able to defend in a very, very interesting way. I believe that uh, the main issue with Getafe wasn't the fact that they didn't score. It was the fact that they really didn't generate any sa- sense of danger, you know. Mamardashvili was a highlight and we're going to speak about him uh in a while but uh Togedes, for example is a very offensive player and he was very defensive against Getafe he did a great job uh running around pressing the spaces being able to recover many balls and i think overall uh, you can see the attitude in Bordalazzi's men it has changed quite a lot it's absolutely different to what we saw from Valencia last season under Javi Gracia for example so it wasn't uh, Bordallas's original game plan, but he was able to adapt, and Valencia did great in that sense.:
1: And you mentioned him there, Georgi Mamarashvili, the new signer who signed for, for Valencia Met at the B team. and, and Carlos Alo said after the game that he barely knew him, he's been at the Olympics, came back and, and met this guy only a few days ago. So can you tell us a bit about him who he is and, and why it was such a surprise to see him as kind of the man of the match for Valencia?
4: Well, it was a surprise to see him in the starting lineup if you haven't been following closely Valencia's preseason, which has been my case. Uh, I've seen all of those uh, seven games played by Bordalás's men. And uh, it was interesting because after the game, uh, I don't know, some fans or some people inside the club were quick to try to, you know, hang... On their own, uh, next uh, the, the medal of bringing Mamardashvili for such a low fee because it was, uh, I believe, under one million euros or whatever. Um, but the truth in this is that Mamardashvili was offered by his agent to Valencia, as it usually happens every single summer. Okay. Uh, Valencia didn't scout Vili. they weren't following this keeper. He suddenly came because his agent came to Valencia and said, I have this keeper, he's 20 years old, he has this sort of talent, and you might be interested in him. And this is Valencia's um, achievement, and and they were absolutely on point. They accepted that uh, offering, and and they signed him. Uh, He has shown during the preseason that he's... Uh, talents, attributes are very interesting towards uh, developing his future. He has the size, he has the, uh, the height, he has the reflexes and also the personality.
1: And also the big thing last night, back there was the return of fans to Mestaya, but it wasn't sold out. There were 15,000 tickets on sale and only around 10,000, I think, was the figure that was given fans actually at the stadium. So why are fans not going to Mestalla to see Valencia after a year and a half away?
4: Well, there are a number of reasons. Obviously, the first one, the most important one, is that uh, there's a fallout between Valencia's uh, board, management, Medin Holdings, Vitalim, Anil and Il and the fan base. Most of the fan base, in this case, uh, that fallout is, I believe, that breach is not going to be, um, you know, undone uh, at least in the next few months uh because Valencia's fan base won't peter him out and that's uh and that's the truth and a single win isn't going to change that but if you add the fact that yesterday was incredible hot, uh, incredibly hot in Valencia this this weekend has been incredible uh, around uh, the whole uh, Spanish region but in Valencia, obviously you have to add the humidity uh and it makes the the fact of going to uh, any game or um any sort of uh um uh, spectacle outside uh, yeah. outside with the outdoors. face mask
1: going in 42 yeah. degrees it's, it's
4: absolutely not nuts that. to go outside and actually many fans said that it was very difficult to cheer for the team or boo the the uh, management of the club when you are with your mask and extremely uh, sweaty which was the the case in in Valencia's game and also the fact that um Valencia haven't uh, put on sale the season tickets for the whole season. Uh, actually, my season pass, which was, I extended a few weeks ago, uh, only uh, includes the second half of the. Show. When we uh, expect uh, all the health uh, regulations to be set in place and everyone to be able to attend the stadium, but for the first half of the competition, the first leg, uh, you have to actually go and buy your ticket and the prices aren't cheap for overall the whole uh, public but also for uh Valencia fans and socios and people who already have their their season pass so if you add all of those things obviously it wasn't the the best day to go to the Mestalla or the best conditions and that's why instead of 15,000 which was the, the the limit capacity you only saw uh, 2 thirds of the the attendance
1: great thanks Paco and hopefully we'll be back in touch with you again soon to see if we'll the last can revive Valencia get fans back and and get everyone on the same page at the club again. Cheers, Sam. Bye-bye. Stay tuned, because we'll be back after this short break to take a look at Celta Vigo versus Atletico Madrid, another heated game with another couple of red cards. And we'll also talk about the rest of the La Liga action and also take a look at a brand new feature on the podcast for this season. Keep listening.
0: Price and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer.
5: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
1: Welcome back to La Liga Lowdown, where we're going to take a look at the rest of the La Liga action this weekend. So, as we've already heard, there was a win for Valencia, a win for Barcelona. But there weren't too many other victories, plenty of ties ending in draws. One side who did pick up a convincing win was Sevilla, a 3 0 win over newly promoted Royal Vallecano, had Lucas Zidane, Zinedine's son, sent off very early on in that game. Then there were also better luck for some of the other newly promoted times Real Mallorca picking up a draw at home against Real Betis, and Espanyol drawing at El Salar against Osasuna. Caliente and Levante also played out the other drawer of the weekend as there was a last gasp equaliser for Galli really dramatic circumstances there. But we're going to take a look at one of the ties which looks like it could have big implications for the title and the race for Europe at the end of the season. So here I'm going to hand over to Rory who spoke to Ian Morris of Celta USA as Celta Vigo welcomed Atletico Madrid as they started their title defence at Balaidos.
4: Saúl, la va a poner al costado derecho, aparece Correa, gol del Atlético de Madrid, gol del mejor del partido, el pase de Saúl perfecto, cruzado diagonal y llega Correa y dice, ¿dónde lo quieres? Se lo cruza al otro palo, perfecto en la ejecución. Primero Zambombazo, bombazo, ahora ajustado al palo. Marca Correa, marca el ángel del Atlético de Madrid. Celta uno, Atleti, Correa, Correa dos. You
3: join me here with Ian Morris, aka Celta USA, on Twitter. We've just watched Celta against Atleti, it finished 2-1 Atleti after 100 minutes of football, a few red cards, plenty of controversy and I think the word is pulsating for the drama that we've just seen. A bitter end to the game for Celta, but Ian, did you see enough to be positive going forward into the rest of the season from Chachoko that's men?
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, First of all, thank you for having me on. It's it's always fun to come on and and chat with you guys. yeah, back to the game. Um, the first half wasn't the greatest half uh, from Celta. There, was some, there were some communication issues in the back half. Um, things looked a little disjointed. Um, and of course, Angel Correa put uh, Atleti up 1-0. But after the half, I think we saw a lot better version of Celta that may have had something to do with uh, mm. Eduardo Cured being able to talk to them as he's uh, suspended for the first two games of the season. Um But it looked like Celta really got more organized in general terms. Um, The addition of uh, Franco Servi and Augusto Solari on the pitch really seemed to add a lot of uh, verticality that Atleti had some trouble dealing with. Um, You know, the Aspas penalty gave us life. Unfortunately, right after that, the one big defensive mistake that Celta made in the second half gives Correa his second goal of the day. And Celta just couldn't convert the chances it had after that to to uh, to draw the game, which might have been the fairest uh, fairest result, but you know, it's one of those games that can just go either way depending on the day, and today wasn't Celta's day.
3: Definitely, definitely. It was it was pretty agonizing for Celta, especially at the end. Uh, Jimenez cleared one right off the line and it really looked like Celta would get something out of it. For Celta you said about that sort of one mistake and they did have a very good second half. The defense has long since been an issue for Celta and at times it does look like they're stretched a wee bit thin across the park, at least from from my point of view. Is this something that Chacho Caldette is going to look to sort out this season or is it just part of an, an assumed risk of playing in that way, pressing so high you'll get more rewards than you will sort of, uh, you'll be penalized by it?
2: You know, I think it's a little bit of both. Um... There were times at season last lap. There were times last season when Celta was a lot better at staying uh, organized in the back half. Uh, a lot of that had to do with um, Nestor Araujo and Jason Mario playing together, two very experienced players who um, felt comfortable working together. And obviously, Renato Tapia adds a lot of uh, structure. Uh, but today, I think a lot of the mistakes we saw uh, were the result of. Uh, Jose Fontan's lack of experience uh, and against a team against like Atleti, they're going to make you pay for those mistakes. I still think Fontan has a great future ahead of him. I think he's going to be an important part of this team, but it was a tough uh, a tough draw for him today. Um, so one of the things that I think uh, Celta and, and Codet will need to do uh, in order to improve that back half is add uh, another experienced defender um, who can maybe add a little bit of... Um, a little bit of stability in the back half and a little bit more um, Mm. hierarchy in a sense because, um, you know, Nestor Araujo isn't the most type A defender and Jose Fontan being as young (laughs) as he is. There wasn't a lot of leadership on the back back line today. So so that's something that um, could definitely be worked on and hopefully does get fixed uh, with a signing before the end of the summer.
3: Yeah, certainly, it's a bit of a birth of fire coming into Atleti' first game of the season for for a young defender. Sort of ahead of him was Denis Suarez today, who did play despite the sort of issues that have been going on, going on over the summer. There, there was a spat with the president about a youth player leaving for Madrid, who who shares the same agent as Denis Suarez and Iago Aspas. And Carlos Mourinho has said, the self the president has said, that. Danny Suarez's future might be under threat at Celta if he if he doesn't back down from this. Firstly, how likely is he to leave before the end of the transfer window? And if so, or just generally, is this going to destabilize Celta?
2: I don't think there's any chance he leaves this summer. Um, I think Eduardo Codet might um, have a have a bit of an issue with that uh, because there's no clear replacement for him in 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 this squad. Um, so I don't see him leaving this summer. Um, Codet said in his pregame uh, press conference yesterday that he thinks this is something that will be resolved. That at the end of the year, by the end of the year, uh, Mourinho and Suarez will have come to some some sort of uh, agreement, come to some sort of um, consensus as to where each side needs to be in this. Um, you know, I saw Suarez today look like. Dennis Suarez always looks. He didn't look to be distracted. Uh, Codette certainly had no reservations about putting him into the starting lineup, and the team doesn't seem distracted at all by it. Um, you know, maybe I think everyone is sort of with this hope that things will get resolved and uh, not much will come of it. Um, Mourinho is known for having a bit of a temper and speaking his mind, sometimes <laughs> to his own detriment. Uh, and while I do understand his... his um, unhappiness with Suarez and the whole situation. Uh, I think both parties know that he's too important to just dispose of. Um, so I think it's not going to be a huge issue. Hopefully it gets resolved by the end of the year, but in the short term I don't see it being much of a distraction.
3: Yeah, certainly. It, it wouldn't be the first time that a Spanish club president has um, engaged in some posturing with um, players or or other organisations, shall we say, Thank you ever so much for your time, Ian. It's always a pleasure to have you on and uh, brilliant to get your views on Celta
1: as they're always very insightful.
2: Thank you very much. It was great to be here. Hope, hope we talk again soon.
1: Thanks, Rory, and thanks, Ian, as well, for coming on to talk about Celta. But this was also Atleti's big win. There were always going to be a lot of pressure on them to get off to a winning start, and I think they did that. I mean, Rory, how impressed were you by, by Atletico?
3: I think I, I tweeted it out roughly um, just after the game, The staying power of Atleti is so impressive because that's a game that most people do not walk out of with three points. And if it wasn't Atleti, I would have said that that was completely fortune, it was down to that. But you've seen it a hundred times with them, they get away with it, they clear it off the line, they they find a way just to eke out the results and Luis Suarez was on at the end and milking the clock in, in classic fashion, which did eventually lead to Hermoso getting sent off, I don't think that was part of his plan. But it was Atleti at their best,
1: suffering and winning. Exactly, it was very Diego Simeone, and and also something that I loved about that Atleti display was was two of the best performers were Saul Niguez and, and Jeffrey Gonçalves. I mean, these are two guys that some people were surprised to see in a starting lineup, mm. and two guys who last season maybe never reached their best, but I think they started superbly. I mean, Saul in the, the second goal the winning goal that Angel Correa scored you saw him kind of carry the ball from the halfway line almost he was instrumental and as Angel Correa scored you saw him kind of fall to his knees and and pumping his fists I mean it was really incredible to see kind of that passion from a player who's been linked with an exit all summer and and he really produced the goods for Atletico and that's kind of what Diego Simeone does is getting the best out of his players like Condogbia like Saul who probably know that over the course of a season they're not going to be first choice but given this opportunity they've They've gone out, then grabbed it with both hands.
3: Completely.
1: I mean, they played superbly for Atletico, and and Celta didn't let them rest either. But well, Atletico kind of hung in there, like you say. It was definitely kind of suffering, and and Gabineros feel as, as the Atleti fans say. But they they survived it.
3: Yeah. No. Definitely.
1: So now, so now let's talk a bit about the the other games in La Liga, shall we? Definitely. Definitely. Let's move on to Los Blancos. Los Blancos, Real Madrid, who got off to a fine start of their own with Carlo Ancelotti back for his first game in charge of a second stint. And it was a victorious one. Despite a difficult first half, Real Madrid kind of came out of the blocks at a totally different speed after half-time. Rory, what did you think of that game? It was
3: it was a different Real Madrid performance, and I, I was quite impressed. Their first half wasn't amazing, but I actually think that Alois deserves some credit for the for the game that they gave them and i think it was real madrid played with a grit that you're not used to seeing them with and i certainly didn't expect to see them with under don carlo because he is a manager who who bases his his career on liberating the the great creators of the game and giving them a bit of freedom to work with but you saw bale you saw hazard and benzema all playing playing a role and for me it's easy to it's opportunistic to highlight him because he scored but Nacho was the story of this game because his sort of endeavor and Real Madrid's solidity at the back I think is what will will carry them home this season if they can get a few more goals and he he in the post match interview actually he marked out or highlighted Alaba's attitude and said he has a mentality that you can really appreciate as a defender and and a bit of bite is Perhaps what Real Madrid needed this season because last year it just seemed a little bit tired at times and I think that's ultimately where they ended up failing.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more and I think with Carlo Ancelotti before kick-off everyone saw the line-up and said oh it's going to be very Carlo Ancelotti, he's going with the the experienced players, his favourites, that kind of thing. But then when they started playing, you kind of realised that wasn't the case. I mean, like you say, Hazard and Beil really had to track back yeah. and, and do a bit of defensive work. Alaba was pushed out to left-back, which I think everyone knows is not his favourite position. And it was kind of a real a team effort from Real Madrid. And maybe that's something that we haven't seen too much of in recent years. We've seen lots of individual quality and, and stand-out performances. But kind of over the last few months within Zinedine Zidane, they were relying more on the guys like Militao and Nacho to step up and... And they did that again against Alavis. But not without taking their luck as well. I mean, Lucas Vasquez <laughs> could have conceded a penalty for handball. What do you think? Well, and
3: I'm sure we'll come on to this.
1: By by the letter of the law, you could...
3: I mean, it's interpretive. But if you're going to give the penalty that got given against Atleti for Marcos Llorente's handball, then Lucas Vasquez's handball has to be a penalty. And it's... No nobody really I don't think anybody actually cares what the handball rule is. They just want consistency. Because there's just no way you can get through a season without everyone up in arms, especially when you have bar and you have the opportunity to look at these things again. That's what irritates people so much. Irritates players, managers, fans, everyone. And just a little bit of consistency is all we ask.
1: Yeah, though I'm gonna stick up for the referee here a little bit as well because I think that in this case with Lucas Vasquez, he didn't necessarily get it wrong. I mean, the letter of the law is that if it deflects off of your body into a onto your arm and it's in a kind of natural position, then it's not a penalty. So I think you can see why it wasn't a penalty and maybe the VAR referees decided, no, you don't need to look at it. But then that just makes the Marcos Llorente one look even worse with <laughs> Martínez Munoera. <laughs> He went and looked at the penalty on the VAR and then he decided to yellow card Llorente, which means it just doesn't fit in with the rules. I mean, the rules say if it's a handball, then it's either one that's deflected off his body onto his arm and it's not a penalty, or it's a deliberate handball where he's trying to stop it. And in that case, it's a red card. So what he was thinking there is beyond belief. Nobody knows. A brand new feature on our podcast for this season is the MVP, the most valued player of the week. You might have noticed before that we run the Twitter thread every Monday, getting your votes for the best performance of the weekend. And we're including it now in the podcast as well. So me and Rory are going to discuss our four nominees for this week. I think the first name on the sheet for me has to be Giorgio Mamadajvili the Valencia goalkeeper who came out of nowhere and surprised everyone on Friday night.
3: Yeah, definitely. And well handled with his name there. You, you skated <laughs> over that one. I really had a well. few
1: practice tries and Paco kind of <laughs> guided me on the right lines. Yeah,
3: I, I think he was phenomenal. He For your first appearance in La Liga, absolutely sensational and saved Valencia the game. I thought Valencia were good, but it needed a bit of help from Manuel Dashvili just to just to make it through at the end there and a couple miracle saves and that's the sort of thing that wins you points.
1: Yeah, kind of as Paco said as well, it was a big performance and kind of shows what kind of future he's got ahead of him. So I think he's one that we definitely have to include in there. Another one from the Barcelona game, I mean, who would you pick out? I mean, for me, there's, there's one man who stands out in the absence of Lionel Messi needing a goal <laughs> scorer, needing a hero at Camp Nou.
3: Could it be anyone else but Martin Brathwaite, the the hero of the hour? And Brathwaite, as we said, he gets a lot of criticism, but he was really, really good in the Euros, and he completely took that form into this game. He was direct, he was running in behind defensively, he was excellent. And I think sometimes we we maybe overestimate the amount of talent you need to be really effective, but that's exactly what Brathwaite was, two goals and... And assists, he was excellent today.
1: Yeah, and then I think we have to look at uh, the other big two teams as well. I mean, they were the sides that had kind of the biggest wins over the course of the weekend. I mean, from Real Madrid, I mean, I was really impressed by David Alaba's performance on his debut, kind of coming out of the blocks. And it was almost kind of a captain's performance from him, even at left-back, kind of like you said before, with Nacho talking about his attitude and, and kind of his whole kind of work rate, his kind of professionalism kind of really made the rest of the team around him work but I mean who would you pick out from that Real Madrid team?
3: David Alaba was good but he wasn't Benzema. Benzema is the star of La Liga this season and as much as it pains me to admit that with um, with some of my leadings, Benzema's far, by far and away one of the, the best player in the league at the minute for me. He's so effective, he's so intelligent and to go with that, he has the endeavour that second goal it was all, all about endeavour, getting there before the defender. And while we're on the topic, Hazard's flick, I think he was actually going through the goal, but it turned into a beautiful volley for Benzema.
1: Yeah, Marcus' headline I saw this on Sunday morning as well was the sweet routine of Benzema. And that's kind of everything <laughs> that, that kind of summed up that performance, wasn't it? That there was nothing else to expect from Karim Benzema but kind of the leader's goal-scoring performance. Yeah, and then with Atletico as well, I mean, who can you think of from Atletico that, that kind of really deserved it? I mean, there were a couple of big performances. Was there anyone who stood out to you in particular?
3: You mentioned Saul, and I did think he was really, really good, given that he was playing out of position and transfer situation that, that you mentioned. It can be easy to be that focused, but the, the commitment that he showed, and then to play such a huge role in the goal was was massive and eventually turned out to be the winner for Atleti and I mean that
1: was the winner that came from Angel Correa if we're gonna pick one Atleti player it has to be Angel Correa I mean (laughs) I was just talking to some Atleti mates (laughs) earlier and we were discussing kind of how it was only a year or so ago that that we were there discussing Angel Correa saying yeah get rid of Angel Correa bring in Rodrigo Moreno Rodrigo Moreno now being called off at half time for Leeds (laughs) While well, Angel Carrera, I mean, towards the end of last season, he was really good. But I think again against Celta, he's kind of shown this added kind of cutting edge that he has to his game. And I think kind of the finishing for, for both goals was spectacular. Very different goals. The first one kind of a rocket from from the edge of the box. The second one much more composed. But I think Atletico, especially in these first few weeks of the season, with Luis Suarez not having had a preseason, season Felix having been injured... I, mean, I think Atletico needs someone to step up and attack until they can at least bring a striker in and if Angel Correa plays like this for the next couple of weeks then Atletico, maybe they save themselves £40 million in the transfer market
3: Yeah and I think Correa is like an interesting case because he's he's always been good, he's just been very inconsistent and even even last season he missed an absolute sitter against Levante and everyone was up in arms about him but we do maybe need to cut people a bit of rope or cut players a bit of rope because Kureo came in very, very young and he has to develop, he has to get and mature to being like the best version of him that he can be. And Simeone is helping him with that. But yeah, yeah, I think that you need to normalize that sort of idea of someone getting better and becoming more consistent because not everyone is Leo Messi. They're not just going to come in and be 19 years old and sensational all the time.
1: Exactly, yeah, I mean, he's still only 26, which kind of blows your mind a little bit with how long he's been around, but he also scored that big goal the Valladolid uh, to, to get Atleti back into the game to win the title on the final day of last season, so I think he's in good form for Atletico as well, but another man who could be considered maybe is Eric Lamella, I mean, what a debut for him for Sevilla, scoring two goals after coming in in the summer in that swap deal for Brian Hill. I think, though, maybe he doesn't make the cut here. I mean, the first goal was a a fortunate deflection. And Rayo Baiocano down to 10 men. I mean, two late goals for Lamela as well. And playing the 10 men in in 35-degree heat at midnight on a Sunday night. It's no surprise that Rayo were looking a little bit tired in their first game. Back in the two-top flight. I think that kind of gives us our, our four candidates then, right? I mean, we have Giorgio Mamadashvili. We have Martin Brathwaite. We have the no, not David Alaba. That was my idea, but you ruled me out. You said Karim Benzema, <laughs> and we have Angel Correa from Atleti. So that's our four candidates. Make sure you check out our Twitter at La Liga Lowdown on Monday and get your votes in. You can also hear why we're backing each of those candidates. But there's more than just the MVP to look out for on Monday. There's two more games as La Liga rolls to a close for match day one. Villarreal welcome Granada in the early kickoff. Robert Moreno, they're making his debut as Granada coach having replaced Diego Martinez. And then it's the club that stayed up on the final day of last season, Elche, and they're welcoming Marcelino's athletic club in the late kickoff. But stay tuned for all of that because there will be plenty more to come throughout the season. Rory, thank you very much for joining us. We've discussed a lot from the the teams in the title race. What was your kind of pick from the weekend? What was your best moment from the weekend?
3: My best moment has to be Gerard Piquet heading home from the free kick of Memphis Depay, who he helped register by cutting his wage. I think you don't get any more or any better example of a man sacrificing for his club,
1: which is all too rare these days. That's a good one, but my one, it has to be from the one I think this weekend was all about the fans returning to the stadiums, not in the same numbers as we've seen in the Premier League or the Bundesliga, but fans were back. At every La Liga game this weekend. And there was no better kind of demonstration of the emotions of that than at the Pith 1, where we heard the club anthem sung with fans in tears. So let's listen into that as we end the podcast. Rory, thank you for joining us. A pleasure. And we'll speak to you soon. Tune in next week for a recap of match day two with some cracking fixtures in there as well. But first, let's say goodbye with the Sevilla fans and their deafening anthem. Aquí estamos
4: contigo, Sevilla, compartiendo la gloria del mundo, el orgullo, del mundo de nuestra ciudad.